those who remain with us in person or on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. So we continue this series in this book that calls us to and encourages us in joy amid suffering. We come now to this famous or infamous, depending on how you look at it, verse, Philippians 1.6, and we're going to take a deep dive into it this morning. But so that we have the greater context, I'm going to read verses 3 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This is God's word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. He would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, these are weighty words, and we beg that you would speak and give us understanding that this great and glorious treasure may shine forth from us though we are but jars of clay, that we may be living proof of who you are and what you are able to do. Lord, we cannot do this on our own, and so we ask you to be at work, even as you've promised. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Paul begins this verse with this exclamation, I am sure of this. And I almost couldn't get past those words because I wonder sometimes if we really can be sure of anything anymore. Now, I understand in an internet age, uh, people like to act like they are sure. They have become experts in all sorts of things. I've joked that I got my epidemiology degree from Twitter, but some people take that a little bit more seriously and their expertise in politics and medicine and theology and philosophy and morality knows no bounds. Yet, sometimes I wonder if that blustery confidence that we walk about with, trying to be so sure So many things, if it really doesn't just hide a deep-seated fear and insecurity. We can't really be sure 
of what the next moment will bring, of what tomorrow entails, and of what that means for anything. There is so much that we don't know. Where is our world headed? Oh, I've listened to all kinds of podcasts and read all kinds of articles. And there are many people who postulate and make guesses. There are some who are absolutely sure they know for sure. But do we? Where's the world headed? Am I okay? Are you okay? And there's no end of self-help books and encouragement videos, whole curriculums that you can purchase to help you feel better about yourself. But do you know for sure that you're okay? What will happen to your kids? Will they be happy? Will they outlive you? Will they make you proud? Will they break your heart? There's so much that we don't know that it just seems kind of silly to act so confident that we have the perfect answer to solve all the political problems in the world today. Is there anything we can be sure of? And yet Paul lived in a world not unlike ours, and he had no earthly idea what tomorrow would bring or what the next moment would bring. And in fact, his whole life had been put on hold. Here he is in prison. Is he going to be convicted tomorrow? Is he going to be set free? Or is he just going to be left there to languish a little bit longer? Will his letter be received? Will Epaphroditus make it back safely? He doesn't know. And this isn't some false confidence that he is parading before the Philippians here. No, in the midst of all of the uncertainty that afflicts him and this church in this city, And us, he still says, with no guile, I am sure of this. He's not sure what Nero is going to do. He's not sure if his case is going to be upheld or tossed out. He's not sure that the Philippians will be free from persecution or suffering. He's not sure of a whole lot of things, but he is sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so let's take a deep dive into this verse this morning and see if we can't share in Paul's confidence. First thing I want us to look at This first part, he who began, it reminds us that Paul is sure that God is at work. 
And this is an important thing for us to be reminded of because all too often where we put our confidence isn't in God's work at all, but in us and our work. Certainly, God has called us to be reasonable and responsible and good stewards of the things that he's given us, and I'm not taking anything away from that. But when we put our confidence in our stewardship to make sure that we'll be okay in retirement, that I'll get that promotion and feel fulfilled at my job, that that I prayed the prayer and walked the aisle and did the things and went to the Bible studies, and so God will look kindly upon me when we put our confidence in ourselves We get it exactly wrong. There are so many disorders that afflict people in our world today that are based in this need and desire for control. And coming from somebody who really likes his control, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me. So many eating disorders are related to control. So many anger issues are related to a need for control. So many addictions. Because we we convince ourselves, if I can just control this one thing, the rest of my life will make sense. And inevitably, the one thing we try to control ends up destroying us because we don't control anything. What if the world really did depend on you? I remember those late night seminary and college conversations where we'd be eating pizza and talking about what the world really needed to understand. And if the world would just listen to me, it would be a better place. And I wonder what the world would be like if they actually followed my advice. It scares me sometimes. What if it really did depend on you? Think of the times that it has, and you've let the folks around you down. You've crushed them. You've abandoned them. You've neglected them. Isn't it interesting, then, that the gospel, the the message of the New Testament, the, the summation of all that Jesus Christ is and came to do and accomplish is not a list of things for us to do, but an announcement of good news from God. I mean, that's all gospel means. It's good news. It's an announcement. It's a declaration that God has done the work. That he dealt sin and death, the death blow on the cross. That he rose again from the dead to make sure a promise for everlasting life for all who believe. That he is reconciling to himself all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That he is making all things new. So, if we want to have any surety and confidence in this life, 
it can only ever always find its rock and foundation and basis in the Lord Jesus Christ. And anything else is a lie that will destroy you. What are we supposed to do with that? It is really hard to live confidently with the certainty and the surety that Christ is king. Nobody says this is easy and that if you just do this, your life will all work out. This is really hard. What does that look like for us? It looks like a lot of things, but I think nothing more than this. It looks like reverent humility before the face of the living God. Reverence because he is God. and He is king. Humility because he is the one who's at work. One pastor that I heard this week reminded me that the theologians of old have always have often said that the, the only necessary work of the church, not the only work of the church, but the, the only necessary work of the church is prayer. Because there's almost no other posture that you can take that so utterly and completely looks to God to be at work than that. What would it look like for us to respond to the work of God with the reverent humility of prayer? God is at work, you can be sure of that, and it is a good work. It's easy for us to sit on the sidelines and sort of armchair quarterback what God's doing. But when we do this, we we set ourselves up as the judge of what is good. What God really needs to do, what really needs to happen is, and when every time we do this, when we set ourselves up as the judge of what is good and what isn't, we, we can't help but set our standards of goodness in the place of God's. One of the books that I read on my sabbatical, Becoming Whole, by Brian Bickert and Kelly Capick, which I highly recommend, they they go through these idolatries of our culture and of the church in our culture, where we think that if we're going to help the poor, we just need to give them more resources so that they can become like us, who, now that we think about it, have a whole lot of resources and are really sad and disconnected and lonely, and driven by despair, and anxiety, and depression. Is that what we want people to become like? Or, or if we just use our, our resources as an as a end to get them in so we can just share the gospel with them, give them a spiritual band-aid, and, 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 and send them off, then they'll be all right, and they'll be able to find their own way. We forget what it means that God is making all things new. He's restoring his image in his people in fullness and in glory. 
We read this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It harkens back to, to God who spoke light into darkness. At the beginning of, of everything, God said, let there be light, and there was light. With the power of his word, when there was nothing else, he brought into existence all of creation. That God who spoke with such power then is still speaking with power now. For he speaks, let there be the light of Christ in that heart and in that soul and in that person, that they might be renewed and restored in the knowledge and image of Christ in wholeness and completeness. He is at work doing something good because he's redeeming people from death and darkness and sin and despair into the light of his glory. And his work is not just good because of the substance of it. His work is good because it actually works. His word transforms. His word raises the dead. His word brings light where there's darkness. And if we want to have confidence and surety in this life, it can't be based on our standard for how things ought to go. It can only ever be in the word of the living God, in Christ who is the word. For he is our life and our light. This good work, that God is doing in the world, he is doing in and through Christ, reconciling all things to him, lifting him up and exalting him to the highest place, giving him the name that's above every name. And so we respond to that with faith, hope, with love, that is rooted in Jesus, in Jesus alone. That good work isn't just something that takes place out there. He who began a good work began it in you. God works in and through his church. And this is important for us to be reminded of because all too often we think that that work needs to be done in the people out there. The people on the other side of the row from us, the people on the other side of the house from us, the other side of the cubicle. There are those, all those people out there that need God to do something, get them set straight and fix them. It'd be an interesting exercise for you to engage in over the next week or two. Make a note. I'm not a much of a journaler, but I'll do it if you do it. Jot down every, every conversation you have with anybody. You don't have to make a record of the conversation. Just jot down, like, I talked to this person. Like that. And record how often you're critical versus how often you overflow with kindness and generosity and grace to them. Hey, you hadn't, hadn't taken the trash out yet. Why'd you leave the door open? Where's the TPS report? When I did college ministry, we had to set up the room. 
it's nice not having to set up chairs all the time. But uh, there was a time we had to set up chairs, and I, I could not get my leaders to really like get excited about setting up chairs. But there was this one, and he was not the upfront sort of leader. He didn't, wouldn't want to talk, wouldn't want to lead. But yet he would. Well, I don't even think I ever asked him. Would just show up 15 minutes before large group and start setting up chairs. And other people saw it, and they started getting there early and setting up chairs. He he became the change he wanted to see, I guess. God's good work that he does in his people, he spreads that good work also through his people. As they are changed and transformed in the likeness and image of Christ. And are willing to die to themselves and live for Jesus. In the big things and the little things, in all of life, we respond rightly to this reality by promoting God's work and not ours. In what we do, in what we say, and how we live. That work that he does in you, he will bring it to completion because God finishes what he starts. Now look, if you're judging by worldly standards, you might be like, God, I don't know, God. It looks like things might be going backwards sometimes. Or yeah. But if you were to read the Psalms, you would find that that's nothing new for the history of God's people. The danger is that we would measure God's progress in his work based on our standards, which in our culture are like issues of productivity. Show me something. I'll know that your work is effective if I see some some results. Or Or it's based on how we feel. Well, if it, if it works for you, if it's good for you, then it must be good. But when we buy into that way of thinking, when we take such a short, self-centered view, we lose sight of the bigger picture of what God is actually doing. It's like, like when you send a text, or at least on my phone, when I send a text to somebody, and you get those three dots that say they're typing something back. It, it's like I'm frozen. I can't, I can't, I gotta wait. What was it? You know, maybe they're like typing a novel. Maybe they just accidentally hit the button and put the phone, and they're walking around. They don't even, they're not even gonna get back to me. Maybe they can't find the right words. And, and I can, I'm just paralyzed because it seems like the most important thing for me to do right now is find out what they're gonna say. And it doesn't matter if my text was silly. Hey, did you catch the game? Or weighty. Hey, I hadn't seen you in a while. How are you doing? Those three little dots enslave me. Why should I think that my assessment of how things are going should hold water? God finishes what he starts. And he's not held captive to your momentary assessment of how things are going. He is working. 
to redeem the entire cosmos in Christ. You're welcome to do better than he if you want to give it a shot. But how that pertains to you is he's working Christ-likeness in you. And I love you. Let's be honest. We all have a long, long, long way to go. How kind and gracious our God is in this good work that he's also patient with us. As he is working in us the very likeness of his glorious son. We can respond to that good work that he's doing in us, that he's going to see to the end. We can respond to that by persevering. And one author called the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. That's what perseverance is. It's being sure of one thing. God is at work and he's at work in me. And even when it's hard to see, if he's going to finish what he started. And he's going to see it through to the end. Because we read that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Whatever your standard of success is, you apply it to God's end goals at your own risk. We we can't let go of where we think we're heading and where we need to be. And it's interesting sometimes to just take a step back and look at what like what are you and the people around you striving for? Like what what what's the thing that's keeping you going? Like where where are you trying to get to? And sometimes it seems like we are, like, standing on the, the transformation of the Enlightenment and the, the world upheaval of the Industrial Revolution and the transistor and the microchip and all this progress, antibiotics and whatnot, just so that we can get a, a, an education, learn to read and use supercomputers that we can carry around in our pockets and get jobs and go out into this world and work and earn money so that we can come home and just Netflix and chill. As if everything's just heading to that. All I want is just some Netflix and chill. Now, I'm not saying recreation is bad, and I'm not saying Netflix is bad. I'm not saying it's good either. I'm asking you the question, where are you heading What's driving you? God's end goal is summed up in the day of Jesus Christ when he will return and put all his enemies under his feet. And he will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And he will fellowship with his people, he will be their God 
and they will be his people forever and ever and ever. In joy, in peace, and in righteousness, and in truth. God's end goal for you isn't just Netflix and chill. God's end goal for you is to make you fit for eternal fellowship with him. And we can respond to that glorious end, that deep, deep longing that closes the very scriptures we hold dear. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Set it right and make it good. And let me trust in no one and nothing else the way I trust in you. Your life does show evidence of something at work in it. We could say that truth all sorts of different ways. You become like what you worship is one way to say it. You'll know a tree by its fruit is another. But there is something at work in you, whether you want it to be or not, whether it's God's purposes or not. And so the the question that I'm left with and that I want to leave you with is that are you living proof of God's work? A work that leaves you reverent and humble, devoted to prayer and gentleness. A work that grows in you faith and hope and love, even as you are molded into the likeness and image of Christ. A work that teaches you more and more, day after day, what it means to die to yourself and live for Jesus, even when it, it, it seems impossible. A work that perseveres, even when the land is dry and it seems as if God's work is nowhere to be seen, it so trusts in him, it knows that he finishes what he starts, it just perseveres and keeps going. A work that works in us, that heart, soul cry for Jesus. For those who worship Christ, and call on his name, you and I, with Paul, can be sure of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, teach us what it means, O Lord, to be your workmanship.
Teach us what it means to entrust ourselves to you. Teach us what it means to have that surety and that confidence. Cannot be shaken. Because it's rooted in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.